Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I am one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm your other host today for the first time, Dungeon Master JQ. How you guys doing? That's right. Dungeon Master JQ, or known as JQ, John, the Wizard King. <laughs> Welcome to the show as a new host. I'm excited to have you join us at the block party and also at the Dungeon Master's block. When me and DM Chris started this show off, we came into it as the two hosts and... I was a DM for a while, and then Chris had just started DMing, and I really loved that dynamic. And since then, we have grown, and we've gotten more hosts. We've got more shows on the Block Party Podcast Network. But I'm really happy because, John, you're coming to join us, and you're, you're a fairly new DM. And I'm really excited to have, once again, a fairly new DM joining our ranks with fresh perspective on the game and DMing in general. I'm excited to be here. So John, we are today going to be talking about a topic that is near and dear to your heart. It's familiars. And like me, John, your favorite has always been the wizard. Wizards familiars is something that you decided you wanted to be the first topic that you talked about on the Dungeon Master's blog. But before we get into that discussion, we have a five-star review. This five-star review is from Speedy Gonzalez 96 It's entitled, Inspiring and Filled with Great Ideas. It says, I've been DMing for about a year now, and I just recently started creating a lot of homebrew contents to change how alignment and magic and other things work for my players. I found this podcast a few days ago, and it has been amazingly helpful. I just finished episode 15, hashtag magic mark, and I can't wait to listen to all the rest. After hearing about the magic-themed alignment system, I decided to use it in my next campaign, and all the ideas I've heard so far in the podcast have been very inspiring to get the creative juices flowing. Keep up the great work. Yes, thank you, Speedy Gonzalez. We appreciate that review. That magic alignment system is... Uh Still affecting people. Mag hashtag Magic Mark still going strong. Well, without any further ado, let's head into the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The flat meat back on the menu, boys. Well, for the meat today, like we said, me and John are going to be discussing familiars. But before we do that, because, John, you are a new host, I wanted to start off with some interview questions like we do with our guests on this show. So the first thing I'm going to ask you, John, is can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So right now I'm living in Queens, working in New York City as a scientist doing water monitoring, stuff like that. You know, just keeping the people <laughs> safe. I'm basically a superhero, so. I graduated from college two years ago. I, I've been friends with Mitch for almost 10 years now, something crazy. Where'd you go to college? Oh, I went to Cornell. Ever, Ever heard, heard of it? it? <laughs> <laughs> the field that you want to go into is zoology, right? Yeah, I volunteer at the Bronx Zoo sometimes, and I'm looking to uh, pretty much spend my life working with animals, because... They're pretty awesome. I don't know if you guys have pets, but people like their pets, man. <laughs> Hence why you're on talking about familiars with us today. Oh, yeah. So, John, tell us about how you started, how you got started in DMing. 
the first time I played Dungeons and Dragons was actually with Dungeon Master Mitch, and uh, I get the official title. He came home to visit us uh, in New York one day, and I decided I was going to DM for everybody, and I did a one shot, and we all made uh, level four characters, and we fought some orcs, and I had all these crazy items and stuff, and and now I I DM a lot for a lot of people on Roll Twenty. I don't know if you guys use that, and it's pretty fun. All right, and as we do with all our guests, even though you're not a guest, you are a new host, we do have a surprise question for you. So think of this as your initiation. Okay. So this question comes from DM Exectium, and the question that he wants to ask you is, an Alhoun, an Elderbrain, and Professor Xavier are sitting in a bar. Who shot first? (laughs) Well, that's easy. Han shot first. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you for that answer. Thank you for that question, DM Exectium. We appreciate it. That's amazing. So let's start talking about familiars today. So the first thing we want to talk about is what exactly is a familiar? Who can summon a familiar? Let's get into just the bare bones basics of what a familiar is. Familiar is like small animal companion usually summoned by a wizard or a sorcerer Uh, in 5e warlocks can actually summon one it's an animal that obeys your commands that depending on what rules you're playing 3.5 5e may have its own free will may just do exactly what you want it to at all times and it can be a couple of basic creatures everything from a cat to a hawk to a lizard an owl, a snake. Uh, if you're playing an aquatic campaign, you've got different kinds of fish, uh, small sharks, stuff like that. And it's a creature that is now somehow bonded to the wizard. It's You summon it magically, and it's a cool addition to most campaigns. It's like this extra thing to get to roleplay and stuff. It's interesting because I think there is a there's a point that needs to be made with the familiar that it isn't like the actual animal that's summoned, but it's a spirit that takes on that animal form. But it's funny because this familiar boils down to in the 5e player's handbook, pretty much the information that we get about it is under the spell find familiar that you conjure up this from in previous editions there was a lot more information on familiars than in 5e but in 5e it leaves it kind of open-ended and when it brings up the fact that it's a spirit that takes on animal form it leaves it really open-ended for me that it doesn't even go into the fact of like is it a corporeal creature is it incorporeal does it look just like if it takes on the form of an owl does it look like a regular owl would somebody passing you on the street be able to tell that it was a familiar or would they just look at it and think oh you've got a pet owl like you got a pet owl or is it something like out of harry potter with like a patronus that it is an actual spirit that looks like it takes on the form of it but it's still spirit looking in 3.5 i think they made you pick uh celestial or demonic or some kind of attribute so then if it was a celestial familiar it would be like glowing white if it was demonic it would be Hmm. black and red and it looked very very different from just a regular animal and so it sounds like in 3.5 it took on a spirit look as well and i remember that too from playing D &D games back in the day like balter's gate 
that when you summoned a familiar, it was a wisp of cloud that looked like it took the form of a creature, but it didn't actually take a corporeal form. And it like it wasn't something that was physically in front of you, but it literally was a spirit that was in front of you. Still in 5e that it, you choose if it's celestial, fey, or fiend, which allows you to kind of make it different for your type of character. But I like that aspect that it would be a different kind of glow or essence in color whether it was like a bright light or a like darkness a shadow almost of a creature or if it was fey possibly something green i i kind of like to imagine it like uh, if any of you guys have read the golden compass books or seen the movie who's the main girl lyra lyra and her animal keeps changing form and like when it changes form it turns that whispery silvery shape i like to imagine it like it's in that kind of shape the whole time because you can cast Summon Familiar again while your creature's already out and change its shape. You don't have to pick one form for your Familiar in 5e. You can have it changing from shape to shape all the time. It just it takes another hour to cast a ritual and get a new, like, oh, we're about to cross this river. You know what? I My Familiar is a lizard and he can't swim or fly. I, I need him to do something else or I got to put him in my hood, something, keep this guy from dying in the river that we're crossing. That's a good point, too, because even though you if you cast Find Familiar once you already have a familiar, it does change shape. You can dismiss your familiar forever and that spirit would be gone and then you could summon a new one. But you could constantly keep the same familiar, even if it were to perish, you can summon it back and have this bond continue to grow between this one spirit that can constantly be transforming into different types of creatures like you said the in the his dark materials books like that ever changing of creatures i think as a dm we need to decide if it is corporeal or incorporeal my reading of it being a spirit makes me think that it is incorporeal but if it is that then that means a couple like pros in my mind of that it could go through walls which would be very very helpful especially if your wizard wants to see ahead in a dungeon or something like that mm -hmm. he, i would imagine you could even like make it go through walls to see traps on the other sides of doors and such that would be very very helpful for a low level wizard and a low level party in a dungeon but it also would have some cons to the fact that it would be incorporeal being that it couldn't pick up things for you or interact with the regular world in a physical way. But I guess I guess the answer to here is that you could have it go both ways, that this spirit can become corporeal or stay in its incorporeal state depending on what you command it to, to be in. I feel like there are a lot, a lot of really good role-playing opportunities for familiars that people don't really think about. One of the best ones is one of my players does this. He has a pseudo-dragon that is telepathic and it can communicate telepathically with animals and all kinds of things and so his dragon will go and communicate with like some cockroaches or bugs or whatever and tell them all that there's food on our friend who's playing a minotaur's chest and then he'll be sleeping and all he'll wake <laughs> up with all these bugs or mice or things around him it's just little little extra perks in the game that you get to do just by having a familiar to play with. 
and that's a really great advantage of the same spirit of familiar being able to change into different forms is that if it as as the book says it keeps the stats of the form that it is changing into that because of that it should be able to communicate with creatures of its same type if it turns into a rabbit then it should be able to talk to rabbits if it turns into a fox it should be able to talk to foxes and be able to communicate to them on your behalf which is a very cool thing for a wizard to be able to do through its familiar and like you said it can lead to a lot of great role-playing opportunities and I mean, you can set traps that way. You can use creatures as spies that way. It gives you so many different options of how to be able to role play and and create these interesting strategies in game just because your creature can transform into other creatures as well. I want to talk a little bit about the fact that to summon a familiar, this is one of the few spells that takes more time than one action in fact this spell takes a total of one hour so this is something that you're not going to be able to do to cast a familiar in the middle of battle i mean you could do that but guess what you're going to be you're going to be casting that familiar spell the entire time throughout the entire battle you won't get to do anything else beyond that and it won't be materialized probably until like at least 50 minutes after the battle is over so Mm -hmm. it is something that is a ritual spell that takes longer. But the book, once again, doesn't really describe what that spell exactly looks like. So I want to talk about what this spell, this ritual actually looks like, because I think that this is a great role-playing opportunity that, especially for the first time, that your wizard or your warlock in your campaign, when one of your players is doing this spell, that you can kind of focus on this and you can talk about what this looks like and you can actually role play through your one of your players who's playing a wizard or a warlock or a sorcerer summoning this familiar forth and what that actually looks like what are some ideas we have for how this can look in a game a lot of times i have my player go somewhere secluded and if he's summoning a forest animal or a hawk something like that like if he's summoning a bird he'll usually go out into a field where he's got a great view of the sky He sat cross-legged in the middle of a circle. He drew all his lines on the ground and made some kind of full metal alchemist-esque drawing on the ground. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but with all those circles and the swirls, after an hour, his familiar appeared. And uh, what I would like to do, I haven't actually done this to my players yet, is uh, have somebody sort of interrupt this spell one time when he's summoning something (laughs) and maybe something he wasn't expected to summon get summoned like he's trying to summon a hawk and he ends up with like a toad with wings or something weird because (laughs) like it got disrupted and he just has this just weird gross creature appear i think that's a great point that in a lot of fantasy lores that's how things are summoned by putting runes on the ground that's something that we see in a lot of types of fantasy lores and i think that can be something that you can take for your own world and place that into your own world as well And I think, like you said, John, I think that a lot of fantasy lures also have the summoning is a really dangerous thing. And the reason it takes so much time is because if it gets messed up, you could summon, you could bring something forth to you that you weren't expecting. And so 
I think that's a really important thing to like make sure that if that's something that you want in your lore, describe how meticulous that this player's character is being with the runes and making sure to copy them exactly from his spell book because if he messes up, who knows what he could bring forth. It may not be something that kills them and it may be something that kills them and does much, much worse things to them as well. I also like the idea of having specific components to find or to get, even if you only have them do it one time for the specific familiar they want, especially if it's like not one of the more basic animals, like if they want a dragon or an imp or something. I had my players so that he could summon a pseudo dragon. They actually had to go dig up the bones of uh, an old dragon that had been slain and brought back to the city they were in. And they had to, like, sneak past some guards and illegally dig up the cemetery at night and, like, steal a <laughs> dragon bone so that he could summon this little uh, pseudo-dragon, fairy dragon. <laughs> it was just this extra cool little mission so that he could have, like, an extra special familiar. And when it comes to familiars, I think you should, be, like, if they're going to be in the game, you should... I really think it's cool to let them personalize it and uh, make it what they want it to be. And that's a good point, even with the ritual, because my other idea for how this ritual, this ceremony could be cast is once you get to that point and your player's doing it, ask them, like, what is it that you have to do for this spell to summon a creature forth? I think you might find that your player has a awesome idea to summon forth his or her familiar into this world. They might come up with something totally different than you were expecting that might be really awesome. So you can also give your player agency to come up with that by themselves. I think Warlock should do an interpretive dance, but that's just my <laughs> personal opinion. I think that makes sense. So let's talk about the connection that a familiar has to its master. You already brought this up, John, but in the rules it states that a familiar, although it acts independently from the player, it obeys every command that the PC would give it. So one thing that needs to be talked about is the fact that it can't attack. That's one thing that it can't do. I think that actually feeds into our thought that it would be incorporeal. That would be one reason why it couldn't attack. Mm -hmm. But then it would also beg the question of, could it attack other things that are incorporeal? A lot, of, a lot of questions for you as the DM that you have to figure out with a familiar. You can actually take a feat later that'll let it attack. There you go. Then your familiar basically becomes uh, similar to a ranger's uh, companion and in the fact that it can attack other creatures for you. But, but better because of the other connections to its master that it has. But first, I want to focus on this the fact that it talks about it obeys every command. Does this mean that this creature, this, this summoned spirit has no free will under your command? Is this a form of charm that is brought upon the spirit that it just obeys everything that the master tells it to do? I think there's really a couple ways to look at this and take this. The first one when I play is usually, uh, this familiar is basically, it's a part of you. You summon this thing. It's, uh, I like to think of it like it's a part of your soul in animal form. Again, going back Golden Compass-esque. Or even the Patronus, or yeah. Or even the Patronus. So then this thing that you summon, like, it has its free will, but its free will is, it is your will. Like, it wants to do things to help you. It's part of you. It's like uh, Sephira in Aragon or any hmm. connected like mind melded 
person in anything where you guys are like the team. Like you guys are both one mind, two bodies. Like you tell it what to do because you are the master, but it already wants to help you if it can do what you say. Like it has free will, but its will is just innately good for you. Or maybe you don't like that and you want it to be this slave thing. Maybe you want, yeah, maybe you want to take the darker view of it that it is just a totally enslaved creature that just bends to your will because you have power over it. Or possibly one of the reasons that this ceremony to bring forth a creature has to be so precise is maybe part of that magic in summoning is that it's summoning forth a creature, a spirit from another place that is so in tuned with who you are kind of like you're saying john that that's that's the part of the summoning that's really important is that you're trying to bring forth a spirit that will be on the same page with you that will act like you want it to act but i really like that aspect that you brought up about it being a part of you it being a part of your personality or your soul and like that makes me think of like I mean we we've brought up a couple times now the his dark materials and Harry Potter lore with the Patronus and the the demons from his dark materials and in his dark materials the demons while the people are still young transform with the different emotions that people are having so if you are feeling afraid it might transform into a mouse and I think that's something that's cool that you could add into your world as lore for for familiars that they do those kind of things or you could even like in harry potter the patronus comes forth and it looks like an animal that mimics something about your personality maybe while the familiar can change forms whenever you want it to if it is dismissed whenever it is summoned back the thing that it appears back to you is that creature that is similar to your personality so if you're sly it's a fox if you're wise it's an owl and that's how it always first appears to your wizard or your warlock i think that'd be a cool thing even for uh you and maybe some of the other players who aren't the wizard who's actually summoning this to decide like oh this guy's playing like this maybe every time it's gonna come back like this or this day we played he was very much uh, playing more aggressive or playing more meek and so it mm. came back in this shape and it'd be a cool thing just to add in for them to see what you guys decided it would be summoned as this time yeah it would be even you could use that as a dm in rare occasions to even quote unquote hand like totally hand wave the rules of familiars and if your player was in this place where his wizard was more angry than he could ever have been his he just saw his father die in front of him or something and he's just enraged you can have the familiar take on a form that it normally wouldn't such as a ogre or something to show that that rage is just bursting out of the seams oh, i'm gonna use that now that's really cool there you go <laughs> So talking about the connection to its master, there's specific things that make the familiar definitely different than an animal companion would be. One of it, those things is the telepathic link that it has with its master. They are able to communicate seemingly in a language that they both understand while they have this telepathic link. 
as well as the wizard or the warlock or the sorcerer can pretty much, John, you described it as like the wargs from Game of Thrones. You can put yourself into their mind and they can be your eyes and ears. And John, I think you you said that you do this in your game and you pretty much take a leaf out of Game of Thrones with that. And your player, the PC becomes totally limp and and deaf and somebody needs to watch over them or carry them around or something, or they're just laying on the ground in the middle of the road. Like uh, they need a Hodor. They need a Hodor. (laughs) (laughs) So it can be telepathically linked. It can be your eyes and ears. These are just a couple of cool things that can lead to like John, you were saying like before some amazing role-playing opportunities for your, I mean, for me, this is why I think you and me, John, love to play Wizards, is this is one spell that can lead to so many cool forms of strategy that a player can do and can can outsmart people and can be a spy and just so many awesome versions. I play a lot of video games, and when I play a Wizard in video games, I just, I always start off loving it and end up hating it because I just, I can't do all the things I want to do. Like, I'll get this pet, <laughs> like, I play... Elder Scrolls Online, and I'll have, like, this little uh, imp guy that turns eventually into, like, a velociraptor, and I'm like, oh, I got a velociraptor, and then it doesn't do anything, (laughs) and I'm like, dang, I wish I could do all these cool things with my velociraptor, like, send it into the bar and ask for a drink, and then maybe tell a joke to the bartender about velociraptors having a long (laughs) face, but I can't, because it's not I can't believe they didn't program that into the game. That's crazy. Why wouldn't they put Missed that opportunity? <laughs> I think it is interesting to also talk about the fact that the spell's description states that your familiar acts independently of you, but it always obeys your commands. This makes me think this is something that unless the player doesn't want them to, the DM should be the one to role play the familiar be it as like communicating back to the player with a telepathic link and listening to the player's commands and using them in battle. But this can also be something that could be hand-waved and you can allow a player to fully control their familiar if that's something that is really important to them. John, you your group does something interesting with that. So we actually have another player who isn't the one that has a familiar. He's not the wizard. He role plays as the familiar for my friend playing a wizard they're they're both friends they both know each other in real life so like they'll be talking to each other and i've told my friend who's playing as a familiar like he has to follow and obey like the commands of like the wizard and what he says but he just he does this cool voice for the pseudo dragon and like it's it's like high-pitched and girly but my friend actually (laughs) has a really deep voice so it's pretty funny and he'll be as like whenever he's warging into it or whatever i just describe what it's seeing and he's controlling it but when he's not this my friend is role-playing as a pseudo dragon and being like oh yeah i'll run over and do this and like he (laughs) has his own roles and stuff so he has the role to succeed and everything as a familiar and sometimes he fails at things and like it's just an awesome way to still make crazy situations happen So the last thing we want to talk about with familiars is alternative rules and lore that you can add in. We've already talked a little bit about things, but just brainstorming some other ways to use familiars that 
aren't written into the rules as such. Like we said, in 5e, familiars and the rules surrounding them are pretty much boiled down to the spell itself that casts familiars, the fine familiar spell. So this is something that if if you love familiars or you have a player that wants to have a familiar and you want to dive more into the lore in your world or come up with some additional rules for familiars, or if you want to have an NPC that's a wizard or a warlock that has a familiar and you want to dive into the lore and the rules a little bit more, let's discuss some other things that you can do with these familiars in your games. One of my biggest homebrew rules that I play with is that when you summon the familiar, it's really part of your soul that you're bringing out to inhabit this spirit of a creature. Like you're separating your spirit into you and this creature. Similar to your spirit is outside you in the golden compass. Kind of similar if you're evil to like uh, maybe Voldemort's Horcruxes or something like that. Maybe Hmm. if this spirit is alive and you're still alive, somehow they can revive part of you or something crazy. I've never actually used that before because most of my wizards that people play have been good rather than evil. But that's something worth thinking about and coming up with some homebrew rules. One of the things that we mentioned as well, but I really like is that the familiars will mimic your emotions and maybe that even goes beyond mimicking of if you're scared, the familiar is showing that it's scared, but that shape changing on its own due to extreme forms of emotion. So if you're super, super energetic one day, like your your PC drinks a lot of coffee, then your it's familiar turns into a rabbit and is just running in circles around him. Or like we said, if you're for, if your PC has an extreme burst of anger to have that familiar briefly turn into something big and scary that it normally isn't able to turn into like an ogre when a familiar dies in my campaigns i usually have it do some kind of harm to the player either they take physical damage to their health because like i said it it's usually part of their soul or they take constitution damage will damage charisma damage something that harms them because they just lost a part of themselves and when this happens, usually they become distraught too. Maybe it's, they have disadvantage on concentration checks on their other spells, something. But I, I like that idea of if you're going to bring this part of your soul into the world and it dies, it, that's not, you can't just play that off. You like It's like having your heart broken. Somebody just ripped out a piece of you. You're going to be a little bit distraught and messed up. Yeah, I think that it should be painful in some sort of way. I like that idea a lot. I even think like an easy way to do it is even if the familiar dies, your player immediately suffers two or three levels of exhaustion, almost as if like all the wind and gets knocked out of them, uh, that they're, they're just feel super tired or like they were hit by a massive wave and now they are not at their full potential. Like you said, having disadvantage because of that. And until they get that familiar back, they are not themselves or maybe it's not as as harmful as that maybe it's just for until they rest but they still i think even as a dm we should be if this is something that we want built into our lore that a familiar and the person who cast it feel this strong bond to kind of emphasize that to our players like this is something that is it's a big deal to you you may be a warlock that hates everybody else on this planet but this familiar is somebody is something that you actually feel a connection to. 
And that's one of the other biggest things I feel is better than role pl having the wizard just role play for his familiar. I mean, you can do that too, but if you have somebody, you do it or somebody else do it, you can really have like a friendship going between this familiar and that player. I know a lot of DMs, uh, I'm not a big fan of DM controlled PCs, but DM controlled familiar, you, you get to role play as this thing that stays with the group pretty much for the whole time and pretty much get to play then as a PC, even though you're following this guy's commands, you you can build up some kind of repartee and stuff with the rest of the group. You get to feel like, I I, I know DM was already the funnest part of playing Dungeons and Dragons, but <laughs> but it's just this little extra thing you get to do. Well, most of the, it's like sometimes we have to work really, really hard, and sometimes it doesn't even work to get our players to be invested in an NPC that we create. Well, this is a NPC that our play. One of our players is saying this is really important to me, and it's it's literally a a battle that can be very easy to win in a, having your player be really invested in this. Because if you are able to show that you care about this familiar, that your player cares about, then they're going to be invested in that familiar that's connected with them. Especially if you take that lore of it's actually a part of you. Another thing that you can do is in, in older versions of D&D, like 3.5, the type of shape that a familiar would take would grant its caster a, a bonus of some kind. So if the familiar was an owl, per se, it would get advantage on a wisdom check. If it was a hawk, it would then get advantage on a perception check or a numerical bonus or something like that. There are many different ways you can have it that the shape that a familiar takes on gives you a little bonus. A pit bull gives you a plus three to intimidation. There's so many ways. Yeah, so 3.5, I know, has a list of all the specific bonuses you get for each shape of familiar. You don't have to be really constrained by what those bonuses are. I probably wouldn't give anybody more than a plus two or a plus three to anything. But they can have a lizard, and I think a lizard is usually a bonus on climb checks. A lizard could be a bonus on stealth checks. A lizard could be a bonus on fortitude checks. Maybe it's a bearded dragon something. And then the biggest thing is don't be constrained by the animals they list in 3.5 or 5e that can be your familiars. You can... Have a familiar be anything you want. Anything smaller than a dog that you can imagine. If you want a porcupine familiar, that sounds really cool to me. <laughs> I probably wouldn't snuggle with your familiar if it's a porcupine, but like <laughs> maybe you then you change it into a cat. Hey, if it's incorporeal, then I'll snuggle with it. <laughs> maybe you're a dragonborn and you can snuggle with a porcupine, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> like but you can have all these different kinds of familiars. Like it says hawk. What kind of hawk is your familiar? Maybe you're really into animals and you're like, I really love naked mole rats. I want a naked mole rat familiar. <laughs> or you're really into like some specific part of reptiles. Even if you want to have a giant bug is your familiar. Like I want this huge ladybug familiar. I want to be, I want to have the coolest ladybug familiar there ever was. You're going to have the only ladybug familiar there ever was. It's going to be great. <laughs> I once played a bear folk in one of my friend's campaigns and my familiar was a giant bumblebee and he would always spell out the last word that he said because he was a spelling bee. But um, 
That's amazing. <laughs> Familiars are awesome. Uh, we hope that our discussion today has gotten you more interested in diving into the lore of familiars in your world or coming alongside a player and helping them to bring their familiar into the spotlight. Or even if you are going to be playing as a wizard or a warlock or a sorcerer in an upcoming campaign, that this is something that you want to dive into for yourself. John, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us and maybe write to us about some alternative rules or lore that they use for familiars or a great story concerning a familiar that they had in their campaigns, where can they reach us at? You can email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And if you liked what you heard today and you liked the podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And uh, if you leave us a five-star review, we'll get to give you guys a shout-out like we did on the beginning of today's episode. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can like our Facebook page. Both of those places are a great place to go if you want updates about our show. We have a Patreon member shout-out of the week. And this week's Patreon member shout-out goes to... Scott Halbert! Thank you so much, Scott Halbert. Scott Halbert is a bronze dragon. We appreciate your support. We hope that you're enjoying the bonus pods that we put out. John, do you think Scott is related to Jim at all? Hopefully. (laughs) I feel like he's a cool guy to be related to. That's right. Do you know Pam? (laughs) The DMs Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. Feel free to check out other shows like the GM Showcase, Geek Wars, We're So Bad at Adventuring, and more. This has been the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all the people at the table. Sayonara. Keep on Dungeon Mastering. a surprise extra part of the show Mitch doesn't know I'm recording this right now because he's not at his desk I just wanted to give you guys a little extra information okay maybe so, he stopped I don't know how much you guys Hopefully he know about Dungeon Master Mitch from the podcast oh <laughs> he can hear me to? never mind who are you talking to the listeners alright I'm gonna shut my windows <laughs> I can't deal with this I'll be back alright guys Back to, back to the secret information. So I've known Dungeon Master Mitch a long time, and I don't know if you guys knew this about him, but he's a pretty fantastic guy. He, uh, I know you guys know he's real geeky, and he likes Marvel a lot. He likes Dungeons and Dragons, but uh, he's also a real good friend and a real good person. Definitely worth knowing him, and if you ever get the, the chance to meet him in person... You should tell him DC is better than Marvel. Get Just really hot in here. Oh, he's back. <laughs>
Goodbye.